and relationships and sex. I said it. I said it. I will say it a lot today just to get it out of the way so that ho- maybe it, it'll probably just be more awkward for you every time I say it. But what I'm hoping is that every time I say the word sex, it'll be less awkward for you because every time you hear me say sex, it'll just, it, it, it'll just get burnt into your brain that you th- your youth pastor saying sex a lot, okay? So the screen went out. Sex. Okay. Here we go, and I know that parents will probably be listening to this, so I'm sorry, parents, but we have to get it out there, and just, we, I know we said this last week when we did our Jeopardy, but just to cover my bases here, um, I did send out letters to your parents. I would never do this kind of a series without letting your parents know, although I, of course, don't intend to be graphic or anything like that. That's what health class is for. That's what your parents are for, um, but I do like to inform your parents. So if your parents did not get a letter because we don't have their address on file, just let them know. I posted on Facebook yesterday, and we'll post it on Facebook every week. Uh, but just let them know we're going through this. If they have any questions, they can call them at the office. Understand? All right, very good. So tonight, we need to introduce our series. Why are we calling it What is Love? Well, there was a very prominent song in the 1990s called, actually, I don't even know if that's the decade, but... There was a song called What is Love. You guys probably heard it coming in, um, coming into the auditorium tonight. But really, it's, this is going to be a very, very practical series. Of course, it's a Bible study series, so it will be all over the Bible. But I want this to be a very practical series about what does the Bible say about love? What does the Bible say about sex and purity and relationships? Okay, And whether you realize it or not, so much of what we know about dating and love and relationships comes from Hollywood or it comes from the media. And it is kind of uh, ironic that we just came off of a series about being brainwashed by media and stuff like that. And what we're going to see tonight, though, is that Hollywood and media has colored our definition of what love is. And so in this series, I want to discover what is love or truly what is biblical love? What is God's definition of love? Because whether you go out and you watch a romantic comedy movie or, or the other way, you watch Titanic, um, you know, whatever, a movie with romance in it, or you watch, God forbid, The Bachelor. Ugh. Oh my gosh, my wife used to keep that on our DVR back in the day when, well, when we had cable and we had a DVR. But, oh my gosh, that, that show is just awful. But anyway, TV and movies have helped form what you think about love, whether you realize it or not. For instance, most rom-coms, most romantic movies, comedies, uh, or or not comedies, like I said with the Titanic, usually, not always, but usually they're pretty inappropriate because they have a lot of sex or sexual references, right? So, what does that lead young people to think? Well, it leads you to think that love is all about sex, I mean, that's just the natural reaction. That's one thing that Hollywood has done to love, is they've sexualized it so much that they're almost inseparable. Love is sex. Sex is love. But is that the case? But even even bigger than that, really, the biggest thing that Hollywood has done to love is redefine it in an even worse way than just sensualizing it. They've redefined love as this, this universal, abstract, atmospheric force that no one knows where it comes from that that leads you to someone that you're just destined to be with let's call it your soulmate right and and it's uh, whatever your path in life is you're just destined to to find the one right 
to find the one. That's what so many shows and books and, and movies are about, is finding the one, your soulmate that will complete you, right? That will fulfill you and make you happy. But the problem with that is, and I'm sure many of the counselors in here who are married can attest to, is that's not what love is. And actually, that would probably be easier if I didn't have to worry about dating girls until I found one that liked me enough to marry me. That would be easier if you could just leave it up to this random force to find her for you, right? But that's not what love is. And so, teenager, this is what you need to understand. Here's the dirty little secret about what the world says love is. And really, it's more about what love is not, according to the world. The world says, and this is on your sheet, the world says that love is not a choice. And that's important. The world says that love is not a choice. Have you ever noticed that? So many movies, TV shows, music are all about the protagonist or the main character finding the one that they're meant to be with. And, and they ruin, and depending on the show you watch, I'm thinking of one show in particular that I've seen in the past, the, the main character will ruin many relationships because, well, they just weren't the one. They, they just, I just don't know what it was. They just weren't the one. They had, they laughed funny and it was really annoying or, or, or what have you. And what they're saying is that love isn't a choice, it's something outside of your control. Something just happens to you, and you have no say in the matter, but you'll know. You'll know when they're the one, right? Now, I can see how that would seem romantic, but that's just not the case. That's not how it works. So tonight, and through the series, uh, I want to pull back the curtain tonight and let you see that that definition of love, number one, is not true, but it's not biblical, that's not how God defines love. And God should know what love is because he is love. God isn't just loving. He doesn't just display characteristics of love. God, the Bible says, is love. And so in 1 John 4, 8, we see this principle. It says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. He is defined as love. So, number one, what does God say about love? What does God say about love? What does the Bible have to say about love? Well, we're just going to look at a few verses, and this is really interesting, actually. I'm not going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 really at all tonight, but yet I believe next, or this Sunday, we're starting 1 Corinthians 13 on Sunday mornings, which is all about love and charity. So you'll be getting this, um, you know, we didn't plan this at all. It's actually really funny that they're doing love on Sunday mornings during February. Just happened to be that way with 1 Corinthians. But, but compare what you're learning in here with what you learn on Sundays in 1 Corinthians. And you'll see a lot of the same things because the Bible is consistent. God's word is consistent. And so the first thing I want us to see that the Bible says is that love is a choice. Love is a choice. And we're going to see that. That's going to be a consistent theme through all of these characteristics. And everything that we see about love tonight and everything that we see about love throughout the series, you've got to get this through your, your teenage skull. Love is a choice. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God commended, or in other words, he exhibited his love for us. How? How did he prove that? How did he exhibit his love for us? Well, in that he died for us while we were yet sinners. The Bible says that when we, before we were saved, if you have a relationship with Christ today, before you were saved, you were the enemy of God because of your sin. 
And while you were in your sins and yet the enemy of God, God displayed his love for you by choosing to die for you. See how that works? He wasn't forced to. He did. He chose to. Why would anyone choose to die for their enemies? Unless it was a choice. The proof of God's love is that he chose to love you even though we didn't love him. He chose to do it by dying for you. So, therefore, love is selfless. Love is selfless. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, the result of God's love that he chose to display and to have towards you was selflessness. It was giving. He gave his only begotten son. He chose to love you, and the result was a selfless sacrifice. Does that sound like your typical Hollywood love scene? No, it's usually selfish in some way. There's some selfish aspect to the love that these people are are searching for, that they're seeking in your typical media love show or movie. Love is selfless. It doesn't serve self. So therefore, love serves others. Love serves others. It doesn't serve itself. And again, we could go to 1 Corinthians 13. I won't because we'll see that on Sunday. But love doesn't serve ourself. It serves others. Galatians 5.13. Brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. In love, serve one another. Because love serves others. It doesn't serve ourselves. And we can see that in what God says about how you should love a, your wife or your husband. What, whatever your future spouse will be, whether you're a girl or a boy, God tells us how to love your spouse. And husbands, check this out in Ephesians 5.25, men, this is what God tells you how you should love your wife. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So, so Jesus displayed, he gave the example of how men are to love their wives. And that way is as he loved the church, which is self-sacrificing, which is not self-serving, it's serving others, and it's a choice to be done. See, Jesus displayed all of those attributes of love in what he did for you, in what he did for the church, in what he did on the cross. Right? So based upon how God loved us, we're supposed to love our wives, men. And that means you choose to love her. That means you choose to love her even when she's not behaving in a way that would make you want to love her. That means that you selflessly provide for her. That means that you serve her and you sacrifice for her because that is love. Love is a choice. Love is work. Love is work. It doesn't just happen. And perhaps that's one of the biggest reasons why there are so many divorces today. The, th- the next thing I want you to see, which might be interesting, is since love is a choice, you can choose to love the wrong things. You can actually choose to love the wrong things. And that's why that logic construct doesn't flow that the world has, that love is a choice. Because you can love the wrong things. Check it out. 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all evil. Okay, well, that's not good. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not that money is evil. Money is amoral. It's neutral. But loving money is the root of all evil. 
because it brings out the worst in you. It brings out your pride. It brings out uh, what you're worshiping, what you're serving. It brings out covetousness, which the Bible says is the heart of idolatry, okay? The love of money, that can, you can choose to love the wrong thing. 1 John 2.15, we saw this verse a lot in the last series, love not the world. Why? Well, because all that is in the world is not of the Father, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. So love not the world. If any man love the world, he's not of the Father. So loving the world is choosing to love the wrong thing. Revelation 2.4 is interesting, because in Revelation 2, God is writing a letter to a church at Ephesus. And check out what he says to this church. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So not only can you choose to love the wrong thing, you can actually choose to stop loving the right thing. It, love is not some mystical thing that just happens that you have no say in the matter. You have all the say in the world. And I think that's why people screw up love so bad is because they just assume that however they feel is this astronomical force compelling them to act in some physical way. That's how the world defines love, and it's not right, and it's why love is being ruined and not just redefined today. You can choose to love the wrong thing. You can choose to love the right thing. You can choose to stop loving the right thing. The point that I'm driving at here that I hope you see is that biblically, love is a choice. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4 more in depth. 1 John 4, 4 is where we saw that uh, God is love. And if we uh, go to verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Okay, And this was manifested, or revealed, the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his Son to be the propitiation, or the payment, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If you track through all those verses, there is no possible way that you could come away with the conclusion that love is not a choice. There's no possible way. That whole passage is riddled with God choosing to love us, therefore we should love other people. Or because God first loved us, that is why we love him and we ought also to love one another. Love is a choice. I, I, we can't prove it any further than that. And then if you go down to verse 19, uh, verse 19 in that same chapter, we love him because he first loved us. Love is a choice. You have, to, you have a choice to love. You have a choice not to love. Whether it's God, the world, money, your family, a boy, a girl, you have a choice because love is a choice. Okay, I feel like I've been beating that horse for a while. So what does the world's redefining of love do to it? What does that do to love itself? Why does it matter that the world is subtly and, and effectively brainwashing us into believing that love isn't a choice? Well, here's the catch. If love isn't a choice, then there is no accountability for our actions. Do you see that? If love isn't a choice, as the world says, then there's no accountability for your actions because you didn't choose to do it. So how could you be held liable? for something you didn't choose to do, okay? So love, as we saw earlier, love actually takes a lot of work. And in the world today, there's an attack on love and marriage and the family. 
And although Hollywood romanticizes love as this wonderful thing, it's actually attacking what true love is. According to a census nine years ago, so I can imagine the numbers are much worse, but in 2010, there was a census, and only 52 to 56% of marriages, just a little over half of marriages, last till their 20th anniversary. I'm sure that that number is even less today. Because people just don't get married till death do us part anymore. Also, the percentage of adults who are married at all is going down because people who just simply shack up together, those numbers are going up. Well, why is that? It's because love has been redefined. And, and because it's just this, this force, it, it's not a choice. It's just, it's just physical. Well, since the leading cause of divorce is marriage, the world says, then why get married? Let's just live together. And when I don't like you anymore and it doesn't work out because inevitably it won't, I'll just move out. We'll save us all the paperwork. We'll save the, the money on divorce lawyers. See, if, if you're not saved, that makes total sense because the world has re redefined what love is. Marriage has nothing to do with love. Marriage is a religious tradition. Marriage is this tax formality. See, when they've extracted love, from marriage and made love not a choice and completely sexualized it, this is what we're left with. But that's not love. Because love takes work. You must choose to work for love. And if love isn't a choice, then there's no accountability for our actions. If a man, check this out, this is how it plays out, guys. If a man, excuse me, falls out of love, have you ever heard that before? If a man falls out of love with his wife and cheats on her, He's unfaithful. Well, what ramifications are there? He didn't choose to do that. He fell out of love with her. What, what's he going to do? Love isn't a choice. After all, the heart wants what it wants. I think that was a Selena Gomez song once, right? Heart wants what it wants, man. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm sorry I hurt her, but I just don't love her anymore. That's what the world leads you to. That's the logical end of their philosophy of love. Can you see the progression here? Because if love isn't a choice and there's no accountability, then you can love whoever you want whenever you want and you can stop whenever you want because it's not a choice. So no one can judge you. Well, why can't men love men? Why can't women love women? Love isn't a choice. After all, I was born this way. That was a Lady Gaga song. As we're just going to quote all these songs now. Those were old. Maybe, the, maybe that's before you were even in high school. But do you guys see how this plays out in the world today? If love isn't a choice, then anything goes. Anything goes. The world has corrupted biblical love by redefining it. By saying, love, love's not a choice. Oh, but your gender is. What? Did, have you ever, did you ever notice they flipped the script on you? Guys, they, they, are, they are insulting your intelligence. Love isn't a choice, but your gender is. Something as scientifically simple as being born a male or a female is a choice, but a daily decision on who to love is not a choice. You're born that way. Are you kidding? But they flip that script, and if you don't believe that, you're looked at as some crazy person, some person stuck in the past with crazy, old-school, antiquated uh, values. That's how you're viewed, because the world has redefined what love is. Why does that matter? Well, like I said, the world said love is not a choice. Therefore, what it does is it sends you searching high and low to find the one, your soulmate. You don't have a say in the matter, but you better find him. You better find her. 
or you won't be fulfilled. You got to find the love. You got to find the one. But, you know, you don't actually have a choice in the matter, so good luck. What we need to do is we need to shift our focus from not just the worldly definition of love. Of course we need to do that. But we need to shift our focus from searching for the one. Because if you don't realize it, the brainwashing of the world and the media is just going to lead you on that wild goose chase of looking for the one. That's the whole point. That's how you get a spouse, right? According to the world. Find the one. Find the one. We need to shift our focus from finding the one to what God says. Okay, well, what does God have to say about love? That's number one. Well, let's look at number two. How do I find love? How do I actually find love? Well, we're going to be much more practical as we go, but let's just start broad. Let's start broad tonight, and we'll get more practical as we go. We'll get so impractical that it'll get uncomfortable over the next few weeks. Don't worry, I promise. Okay. How do I find love? Well, the first thing is seek God's will. Seek God's will. You do that by opening the book that's on your lap or in your car or still at home on your desk. We need to shift our focus from finding the one to seeking God's will. In his word. And for those of you that don't have a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, that means what you do is you quit seeking that and you start seeking God. And for those of you who are in a relationship, that's fine. It means you stop pursuing them and you start pursuing God. See that? It's all about what you're seeking and what you're pursuing. Colossians chapter 3 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That's heaven, by the way. Okay, set your affection on those things that are above, not on things on the earth. So if we seek God and his will and the things that are above, eternal things, things that matter, we set our affection on those things where God is, then he is going to reveal to us his will for our life. If you're saved tonight, you need to shift your focus from this world downward and do what Colossians 3 says and shift your focus upward. Stop pursuing what the world wants you to pursue, finding the one, and start pursuing God and his will for your life. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God says if you will just simply seek him first, his kingdom, seek his will, man, he'll provide all that you need. Seeking God's will requires us to stop seeking our will. You see that? If we're going to seek God's will for our life, then you stop seeking your own will. And that applies to the context of love. It applies to many other contexts as well. Because it's all about what are you seeking in life? Are you seeking your own plan, your own desires, your own pleasure, your own fulfillment? Or are you seeking what God wants for you? Because if you are saved, the Lord is your Father. He is your God. He is your Savior. Seek what He wants for your life. Not only will it go better... It'll be more enjoyable, it'll be more fulfilling, and you'll do many more things that have eternal value than just seeking your own will. So what is God's will for you? Well, we start by seeking God's will, and then we, it leads to surrendering our hearts. Surrender your heart. When you say, well, when I got saved, I surrendered my heart to Christ. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But I'm saying on a daily level. I, I'm saying on a daily occurrence you're surrendering your heart to God. I'm saying on the big picture level even of finding the one, as the world loves to call it. 
surrender your heart to God instead of seeking a girlfriend, instead of seeking a boyfriend. Because when you focus all your desires on what God desires, which is up, he shows you what his will for you, and his will for you is to become more like him. We could go all over the Bible to prove that. For the sake of time, we won't. God's will is for you to be conformed to his image and for your heart to be conformed to his heart and for you to desire what he desires and for your will to be his will. See, the problem with what the world preaches, the heart wants what it wants and just trust your heart, the problem with that is that our hearts are wicked. You know the Bible says that? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says that your heart is wicked and deceitful and evil. Who can know it? The, and the world says, trust your heart. Follow your heart. The heart wants what it wants. Yeah, the Bible says the opposite. Trust God's word. Seek God's word, not your heart. Because of our sin nature, I, I trust that you guys know this, but because of our sin and our sin nature, our hearts naturally desire sinful things. It desires the things of the flesh. It desires the things of this world, right? Trusting your heart will only land you in sin and wickedness, which results in hopelessness and despair, not fulfillment and joy and love. It lands you in despair and hopelessness and depression and anxiety, and not being happy and excited and in a loving relationship, you'll end up being depressed and morose, completely devoid of value and joy in your life. So God's will is that your heart will become more like his heart and that your life will become more like his life and that you, Christian, will become more like him. I want to give you Romans 12 again, which is what we spent our entire last series talking about. But that's why this is such an important verse, guys. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Paul says, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He wants you to be conformed to him and his image, not the image of the world. And if you're conformed to the image of the world, your version of love will be defined by the world's version of love, not the Bible's definition of love. And it will leave you hopeless and in despair, having multiple physical partners that have left you with, with just voids in your life. And, and, and not joy, and not peace, and not comfort, and not fulfillment like the world promises, okay? God desires that you would lay down your life. So start seeking God's will for your life instead of your own will, instead of your own pleasures. And then what you do is you surrender your heart to let the potter form it to his image. You guys remember the Bible word for that? That's sanctification. That's God setting you apart to make you more holy, to make you look more like him. He died on the cross and paid for your sins so that you could live a pure and a righteous life. And he has called you to live like him, not live like the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and, and we're going to hit this verse a few more times before we're done with this series, but Paul exclaims, what? Almost in rhetorical fashion. What? Know ye not that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God and ye are not your own? He says, Christian, don't you know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which ye have of God, ye are not your own. Verse 20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which, oh, by the way, are God's. If you're saved, you sold your life to God. So live for him. Don't live like the world. So the question is, well, how does this pertain to love? Well, check it out. If you quit focusing on finding love in a person, a boy, a girl. You can focus on finding love and fulfillment in God himself. And as you let him shape you into the person that he wants you to be, check it out, he'll lead you to a person that you can love and who will love you back. That's how it works. See, love isn't, and you gotta get this, man. Love is not about finding the one. That's the world's version. God's biblical version, love is about becoming the one for someone else. As you conform to God's image and you seek his will for your life and you look more like him, you are becoming the one that will be the spouse for someone else who's doing the exact same thing. And then you two will be a friggin' power couple, man, compared to the rest of the world. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Love will be easier in your relationship than the rest of the worldly relationships because it's centered on God. And because it has the power of God behind it. And because you're actually doing things for eternity that matters. And, and you're married to someone you love and you're seeking God's will and you're doing all these great things. Oh, and by the way, you get to have sex. That's awesome. <laughs> but it's not all about sex. It's not all about the physical intimacy. That's just a byproduct that God gives as well. If, if you let the world redefine love to just that, well, then you've wrecked it. You miss out on everything else that God wants for you to have. It's about becoming the man or the woman that God wants you to become. And if you'll stop focusing on how to get a girlfriend or how to find the right boyfriend and just seek God's will for your life, he will help you to understand that if you'll just focus on who you are and who you are in Christ, he'll take care of the rest. He will. If you focus on becoming a young man or a young woman of God, he will lead you to someone else doing the same thing. I promise you. Because that's what he shows us in his word. It's what happened to me. It's what happened to many other counselors. If you will focus on becoming a young man or a young woman of God and stop seeking the world's version of love, stop seeking what the world portrays love as on television or in pornography or what have you or in music, if you'll stop seeking that and seek to become the man or the woman that God wants you to be, he will eventually, in his timing, mind you, takes patience, he'll lead you to someone doing the same exact thing. He'll lead you to someone doing the same thing. That is God's will for you. So let's wrap it up here. Like I said, love is a choice. You gotta get that from this message. It's the opposite of what the world will tell you. Stop focusing on trying to find your soulmate. Start focusing on becoming the young man or woman that God desires for you to be. And then when God leads you to someone who's doing the same thing, guess what? You get to choose to love them. It's an awesome thing. It'll be work, but it won't be as hard as the rest of the world's relationships are because both of you are more focused on God than each other. And that's how a good biblical relationship works out. When you're both focused on God, you grow closer to each other. 
We need to understand the biblical definition of love, and I hope you understand that tonight. And then we will move on in the next couple of weeks, and we'll get more practical, and we'll see how that fleshes out in relationships and love and physical intimacy and purity later. But we've got to understand the biblical definition of love because the world doesn't understand what true love is. And we need to stop worrying about finding the one and just start focusing on becoming the one that God wants you to be. And if you'll start there, man, you will be just fine. I know high school is rough. It's a rough place. There's so much pressure to, not, to, to, to be in a relationship at all. And if you're the outcast who's not in a relationship, you don't have a boyfriend, you don't have a girlfriend, well, you almost feel like everyone looks at you like you're some crazy person, right? Because you don't ha- you're, why aren't you in a relationship? I don't know. I didn't know I was supposed to be. Man, and then, God forbid, once you get 16, 17, 18, now the pressure's really on because you really got to start dating or else you're never going to get married. You got plenty of time to get married. Chill out, especially you ladies. I don't know what it is about being 18 and feeling like you need to be dating the guy you're going to marry. It'll be okay. It'll be all right, I promise. But if you start focusing on who God wants you to be, he'll lead you to the one he wants you to be with. He will. Trust his will for your life instead of trusting your own fleshly desires, because those will only lead you down a path of despair and won't lead you down a path of joy and fulfillment. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you tonight, and uh, God, I just, again, I, I feel like I say this every week, but I do. I thank you for your word. We would have nothing to come here on Wednesdays or Sundays and study if it wasn't for your word, and we certainly wouldn't have any joy or hopeless or, or hope if it wasn't for the hope and the joy that your, wor- your word provides. And so, Father, I thank you that you define what love is. I thank you that you're a loving God. If you weren't a loving God and a merciful and a gracious God, we wouldn't have a relationship with you. Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross for our sins. We would all be destined to hell for eternity. But because you loved us, though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because you sent your only begotten Son into the world, We can have eternal life by calling upon his name. And if anyone in here hasn't done that, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't leave here tonight without doing that. I pray that they'd call on you so they can understand what true biblical godly love is in the first place. But God, for those of us who know what that is and have a relationship with you, I pray that we would quit seeking this world's definition of love. And we would start seeking what you say love is. And we would start seeking your will for our life and surrender our heart to you to be made conformable to your image. And when we start seeking to become the person that you want us to be, you will in your timing lead us to someone who will compliment us in a way that will make us uh, more beneficial and more effective for you and for your kingdom and for the ministry. And so Lord, I pray that we would trust you, we would surrender our hearts to you, and let you work out this thing in us, and that we wouldn't be seeking love or seeking the one, but that we would be seeking you. I pray that in the rest of the series, as we start to get more practical and start to talk about uh, grown-up material like, like physical intimacy and sexual intercourse, Father, I pray that you would just allow us to hear what your word has to say, understand the great things about those subjects that your word has, but also understand why you gave us the boundaries of marriage for that. And, and help us to understand how to be pure and the importance of purity for ourselves, for our spouse, and for you. I love you so much. I thank you for this, uh, for your word and for this study. I pray that you be praised in this last song. And it's in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.